Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 212, Aria 5, A Storm of Swords. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana. And Aria ready for the final Aria episode of the year slash Girls Gone Canon episode of the year. It's not the final Aria episode. She has a chapter in every single book. Yeah, this bitch is popular. Don't worry. <laughs> I love her for that. She's so real. This is our last episode of 2023. The last time you'll hear us on your feed with a new episode in 2023. For the historians. But that yeah, for the, the historians listening, all those maesters at the Citadel, the Citadel, we'll be back. Don't worry, can't get rid of us that easily, unfortunately. We'll be back next year, 2024. There will be no episode on the 29th of December. Go but party. We will return. Yeah, go party. Take nerds. a shot in our honor. Take two, one for Chloe, one for me. You're drinking for three, everyone. Oh my God, whether it's a... <laughs> Yeah, we go expect that you will be with family, friends, kissing, smooching. Go yeah. kiss and smooch your the family and friends. Be safe. And kisses. Yeah. Yeah, be safe. But we'll be back on January 5th with a special episode that is being sponsored by our patrons because patrons over in the Stranger Tier and up get bonus episodes. Every month they get a brand new bonus episode based on what management has chosen for them. Surprise, we're management. And they're releasing two apps from The Vault for you. So January 5th, 2024, you will be listening to us talk about A Song for Leah by George R.R. Martin, a novella that, I don't know, I really loved this one. I, I think like you did too. Yeah, I love the jelly people. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's just like the mind jelly. <laughs> the giant Neopets jelly. <laughs> It's funny because it does have two characters leading the story that have names you might remember, right? Rob and Leah. But, of course, they are not our Rob and Leah. So no. give that a read. If you don't have Dream Songs by George R. R. Martin, go get it. It's so good. Part one and part two are great. We are reading some of the stories from part one and... You know, eventually we'll collect them all. We'll move on to part two, actually. Yeah, I do think we'll eventually move on to part two. We are really enjoying these short stories and we are going to continue reading more of them. So, you know, our biggest announcement in 2024 is that we're starting wild cards. <laughs> that, that I'm is, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it is not yet <laughs> April Fool's. But for January 12th, the week after that, we'll be releasing another one from the vault and it will also have Rob in it. A Song of Ice and Fire's Rob, that is, will be releasing our Robisode POV for your listening pleasure, where we uh, we do an episode based on Rob Stark, and if, you know, if he had his own POV, what it would look like, what we'd learn from him, the things we want to learn from him, the things you might want to learn from his POV. Yeah, we really look at, you know, what his the story from his perspective would look like, as well as what sorts of challenges his specific character would face his conflicts of the heart, etc. Thought it'd be nice with these Arya episodes. Yeah, I think it goes perfectly. I do. And honestly, I mean, there's so much now that two years later, this was what, 2021, oh, when yeah. we recorded this. So like, oh there's God. so much, oh my God, for 2024. Yeah. yeah, way different. And some of the questions and how we're reading Arya right now, right? Some of these questions we have and some of these discussions we've been having, I could see them really applying to some of these bits from Rob too. So 
it'll be a big difference, right, to hear about Rob Stark in 21 versus Rob in a song for Leah in 2023. And after the 12th, the next episode, we'll be right back on track with Arya 6. And that's not the only thing to look forward to for next year, right? We're going to finish Arya. We're going to go to a big new POV for the summer. So stay tuned, all of those of you that are trying to figure out how those last POVs come out in order. And I don't know, uh, what else? Part two of Eternal Sailor Moon. We're going to be back with Magical Girls Gone Canon, the hit series. I'm also hearing that Unleash the D, the other series that (laughs) top critics everywhere have been rating as 10 out of 10, bold, adventurous, witty, and also a little cutting, maybe drunk. Uh, the critics that are saying this, you know, they there's a rumor that Unleash the D is coming back for season two of Hot D. There is a rumor. And I mean, we'll just have to everyone will have to stay tuned to see if the rumors are true. If Unleash the D will, you know, unleash if it'll be unleashed, oh it'll, it'll be even more unleashed, even more D than before. Oh. <gasps> uncut, bigger D. Oh, oh my God. Uh, uncut. Uncut, bigger, stronger. Oh, yeah, so you guys, we'll be back. Don't worry. You've got a lot to look forward to for 2024. And hey, December's not over yet for 2023, right? If you're a patron over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the stranger tier, as I mentioned, get those bonus episodes, you are still getting a bonus episode in 2023. This does not have to be the last time you listen to us, and this is so exciting. You're getting episode one of our brand new Stranger Tearing Up patron-only series on The Hunger Games. We will be covering the first novel by Suzanne Collins, The Hunger Games, talking about it, the broad themes in it, and really getting into it. And I think it's going to be a recurring series, guys. I do feel it is going to be. I'm always surprised when you make it sound like it might not be. I went into this assuming we were doing the whole series, all the books. And I mean, like, as for this being a series, not only do we hope to cover all three of the main books, as well as the prequel that has recently gotten the movie. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty chunky story. Like, who knows how many... Each book individually could even be its own series. Who knows? Yeah, we're going to find out together this month. So get ready. It is a journey. (laughs) Discovery. And of course, for January, we'll let you know what's coming in the front of the year for your Patreon bonus episode in January 2024. But mum's the word for now. While our last Discord brunch slash happy hour of the year for our Thunder tier and above patrons at $10 and up tier... Uh, That just happened, front of the month in December 2023, but January's date has been already decided. Get excited. We hope to see you next year. We'll be joining up from 2 to 4 p.m. on January 21st, that's a Sunday, to uh, hang out, and that's Eastern Time, ET, to hang out, chat, brunch, gossip, gab, giveaway, whatever. There'll be some fun shit going on. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely. Come ring the new year in with us. We'll sing, I don't know, Old Lang Syne, and by that I mean we are not doing that. I don't know those words. <sighs> we'll sing something merry and gay. <laughs> yeah. And it goes without saying, but a huge thank you for listening to us this year and every year as we get through these crazy published novels by George R.R. R. Martin. It has been a pleasure, it's been a privilege, and 
do it again next year. Roll it back. Let's do it again. Every single year until the Winds of Winter comes out. <laughs> when T-Wow comes out, we get to quit. <laughs> and then we get to do it again when oh uh, A Dream of Spring comes out. Uh... Forever. Forever and ever. There's a lot of things that seem like they're coming out soon, though, in 2024. Is the new Hades coming out? I think so. 24. 24. Oh Hades, God, too. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to 2024. Again, for, there's Hades. There's Bigger, Harder D. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Maybe even Sailor Moon Cosmos. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. I think I think that actually is going to happen. T-Wow? What do you think about T-Wow? Call it in the air. So thank you, everyone, for being with us every single year and for uh, your continued patience and love we appreciate you. Uh, with that, we'll jump into our emails and tweets of note. We did get a great email. This is really fun. I am excited about this yes. one as a Philly girl. We got an email from our <laughs> friend Fox who said, I came across your podcast way too late in the game. I've been a pro A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit lurker and meme farmer for years, real, <laughs> and never got into podcasts. But now here they are. I found use this year. Yes, use is important. That is a, uh, yes, I found use this year right before I started dealing with some issues that took me down for the count. It was great. Like two friends cheering me up. Aw. Aw. They love our takes on Sansa because they say it's very refreshing and they say Littlefinger needs to get a damn job. That's so true. They love your bear voice, Eliana and my John voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Chloe's got new voices. Yeah, I've She's really been her range. More voices in 2024 to come too. I mean, my god. Oh my gosh, yes. Think okay. of all the voices we can do. Anyways, uh, our hot takes have been a bright spot for them. They're excited to see what's in store and uh we've earned their Patreon subscription. Oh my god, we've earned their sword. Thank you so much. Uh Fox <laughs> Fox has also p- posted a picture of their pepperoni, which is Buffy. Very cute. Y'all don't get to see it, but we do. Very cute dog. That's just one of the bonuses, the perks of this job. You know what I mean? Is dogs. More dogs. Yeah, but she is very cute, and she says that she likes to call her the queen of love and duty, which is very fun. Amazing. My god. Uh, I feel that when it comes to dogs. Thanks, Fox. Sometimes they're like that. Yeah, thank you so much, Fox, and thank you for this photo. Love this picture of Buffy. Our queen, our new queen. Yeah, please send your dogs, your cats, all those those animal photos to us. We love it. Yeah, actually, makes our yeah. day. Makes our day. I mean, all I'm right. I'm and not actually kidding too. Like, how many times do I stop you and be like, "Oh my god, did you see the dog that someone just emailed us?" And I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> or sometimes, sometimes people send birds. Uh-huh. We get a lot of animals. We will take whatever animal you want to send us that you know and are personally acquainted with. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, I, I'm open to animals you're not personally acquainted with, but sometimes, you know, it's your connection with the animal that also truly makes us smile. <laughs> well, here's a couple of other things that made me smile. We got some Patreon comments. So we got one from Jonathan of Casa del Tomhog that says, Germasi is the neologism I never knew I needed. <laughs> and I'm happy we could do that for you. Yes. Yes, that was honestly big day. Big day for the cast. Boy pussy. Our, our friend Egg, aka Aegon the Six, was saying that this was like the most unhinged episode. It opens with you telling everyone that 
that the podcast is over and then right after that we go straight into explaining boy pussy <laughs> to people <laughs> you know honestly what's really weird is it was like one of the most fun episodes in the entire fucking universe we had a blast i yeah i'm sure you I cut out laughter these aria episodes no i think i leave a lot of our laughter <laughs> in. Uh, i think sometimes they just get caught by noise gate too but whatever speaking of things that are fun we also got another Patreon comment from Barbara, whose sentiments are echoed by our friend Rowan in uh, in Discord, but essentially, you know, everyone loves. They love the idea of a Beric Dondarian as an influencer uh, idea that you proposed, Chloe, and, and this Get Ready With Me GRWM series. Every time I see GRRM, I think GRWM, so it tracks. Yeah. We are we've been getting ready with George for years. <laughs> GRWM GRRM. George get ready Martin. That's uh, George get, get ready Martin. Ready. <laughs> Martin. Oh, I have to also comment that Barbara not only laughed at it, Barbara laughed in Eliana speak at this because Eliana oh. tends to say Lamau as we've discussed on the podcast <laughs> and Barbara commented that she was Lamauing. So, have to point that out. Love that. Lamau. Love everything happening there. Especially because I just have listened to you say it for like six, seven years now. So like other people saying Lamau, please do. Please. Be like Aliana. I don't think I... I don't even think about it. I'm convinced other people have said it and I must have gotten it from them. (laughs) But I just am convinced that this is a normal thing people say. Well, now you're convincing others. No, it's not. Oh god, there's gonna be more of her. I don't know if I can do more of her. Well, let's talk more about our girl Arya and the other people in this story around her. Yeah, let's jump into our lightning round with what we missed between Arya 4 and Arya 5, starting with Daenerys 2. Daenerys ponders purchasing a slave army. Her advisors won't shut up about what her brother would have done in her place. Bran 2. Bran listens to a tale from Mira about a dragon prince and a wolf maid. Oh, you've been talking about this a lot, these episodes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Robert's <laughs> rebellion. <laughs> Davos 3. Davos is in prison beneath Dragonstone, but gets a new roommate who fucked up way harder than he did. <laughs> That's actually true. John 3. John parts with ghosts the night before the Free Folk climbed the wall. Daenerys 3. Drogon. Dracarys. Sansa 3. Sansa Stark is forced to marry Tyrion Lannister. That brings us to Arya 5, another happy episode in this series. Arya shows mercy to caged men at Stony Sept. Arya learns about the Battle of the Bells. Bells, 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 bells. We open up at the Stony Sept, the biggest place that Arya's been since King's Landing. She learns her father's history with the town. Ares was hunting Robert, trying to catch him before he could join up with Lord Eddard. Robert was being hidden and tended to by friends, and Lord Connington tore apart the townhouse by house, looking for him. Lord Eddard and Lord Hoster came down on the town, storming the walls, battling in streets and alleys, and the Septons rang the bells, telling the small folk to lock their doors. But Robert joined the fight when the bells began to ring, slaying six men. One, Miles Mooton, Rhaegar's personal squire. We have a line of, he would have slain the hand too, but the battle never brought them together. And I do want to say I love the language, right? That you have the hands against the hands, basically. Um, Oh my gosh, you're right. They're throwing hands. Yeah, because he 
<laughs> but going back to our first book, right? That he, the if one hand can die, then why not another? And I think that that language oh, yeah. harkens right back here with the hand versus hand. Like pity, I never had the hands face off. George is being kind of cute here. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it might have been. I wonder if it's like a thing that. He's thinking about that, and also, I mean, as we know, there were a couple of other things that were changed that would have happened at this point in the story. Like, I think what Jamie wasn't the one who's going to lose a hand. It would it was going to be like Joffrey or something, mm-hmm. things like that. And yeah, a lot of hand stuff happening at this point in the books. I appreciate the John Connington mentions. Interestingly, even though like the idea of him is referenced, I think, in some of the previous books. It's only in book three that he actually starts getting named and mentioned by name, which really shows how George is now starting to think ahead more of, like, how he's building the story and foreshadowing what his role is going to be, you know, in book five, where he does finally appear. Yeah, and you start to get all of the different things of, like, Ronit, for example, and building up Ronit Connington, yeah. too, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Really fun stuff. I also, I, I love the John Con chapters, so excited about those one day. Yeah. I mean, you even have what in Tyrion 1 in Clash, other chapters I'm excited to get to someday. I'm like, John Con, Tyrion, we have so much left to go. Uh, where Tyrion is telling Baelish, Connington died landless and penniless in exile. So bit by bit, now we're in storm and here he comes. Starts to really flesh out the roosts there, the griffin's roost. Yeah. So, of course, Connington didn't just go away with his tail between his legs fully, right? He got a few digs in. He killed Dennis Aaron, who was the darling of the Vale, and because of that death, um, obviously, the Vale's kind of weak right now, since they just got Sweet Robert. Sweet Robbie. Robbie Sweet. Oh, that's like a DJ name. <laughs> Robbie Sweet. Yeah. I was like, sounds good. 90s boy band. <laughs> He also wounded Hoster Tully, but when the day was lost, he fled. They called it the Battle of the Bells, and Robert always said Ned had won the battle himself. The Stony Sep doesn't look like it's seen anything but battle, Arya reflects, outside of the town, stacked with charred planks. I have to comment that in our Rebellion musical, which we are making, it's going to be an in answer to the play that's being made. And if we can finish it in time, everyone at home that's listening, uh, maybe we could sell the musical <laughs> instead of the screenplay they're already adapting going on there. Or not screenplay, sorry. Instead of the play they're already adapting. But I'm going to give you this teaser that our Battle of the Bells is going to have a handbell choir in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be amazing. I want you just all mm-hmm. to get ready to experience it because I've really been hearing it in my head. Just like John Connington, actually. <laughs> yeah, just like all of you, absolutely. And I just want to say, like, how how do they know that the upcoming play is not, in fact... Our musical. Our musical? I'm just saying, you don't know that the names of... What what are their fucking names? Well, Dominic and whatever is not... Th- Dominic and Duncan, oh. or is it actually secretly Chloe and Eliana, and those are our mm-hmm. pseudonyms? And I mean, I'm gonna be honest. You know, Mean Girls is coming out to Paramount, and it's going to be a musical. But they're also concealing from the public that it's going to be a musical by only putting trailers out of mediocre acting and weird angles, and they're not telling anyone it's a musical. So, I mean, maybe they're just downplaying it, just like Mean Girls the Musical is. 
And by they, we mean we. <laughs> Dominic and Duncan. <laughs> uh, more like dumb Eric and Duncan. Jesus, we're ridiculous. Uh, real, real talk. I... Real talk. Off of our, our Nothing musical. Nothing against them. Nothing against them. We're just better as musical leaders. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, real talk in real life, not in musical fantasy land. I was kind of rereading the world of Ice and Fire and just looking over some of the details, which, to be fair, the world of Ice and Fire is propaganda written for Joffrey, right? And it's <laughs> it is propaganda. Like a lot of the a lot it of is. the stories are very grandiose and not true. So this was obviously angling to show the world, Robert, your father was so good, Joffrey. He already knows that shit ain't true. That said, it does have a slant toward Robert. So Eddie, um, you know, anti-rebel leaders in the house, you know, people that are just antis of that whole faction, bootlicker sympathizers, please don't listen. No, I'm just kidding. The Conqueror, this is something interesting. So, like, there's a history here, not just of Robert's conquering with the Stony Sept that I thought stood out really crazily, but also, like, Aegon Visenya Rhaenys, the Conqueror OT3, they also had kind of a setup at Stony Sept when they were making moves to go battle between Gardner and Lannister, Rainies and Visenya joined Aegon. They brought their forces from Storm's End and Cracklaw at the Stony Sept and like gathered their strength there before they went off to the Field of Fire. I thought that was, I never, I didn't remember that happening. And I'm like, oh, so the Stony Sept is kind of an interesting place where the Conquerors have their big stands, right? And I know that's odd to put Robert in the shoes of Aegon and the OT3 there, but interesting to think about. It is interesting, and I mean, it seems like it's the the focal point for a lot of stuff, and I that might partially be because of geography mm-hmm. where it's located. But I I forgot also, as you said, that it played a role in the OG conquering. Yeah, which obviously, from like a meta standpoint, it's the opposite, right? Uh, George obviously probably thought the same thing and thought, "Oh, that's interesting. They could go there because it's a good gathering point for armies." As we see, as we've seen from Robert. But that's not it. Like, it's actually be also a very holy place, right? Hundreds of the poor fellows during Magor's reign came from the chapter at Stony Sept. So hmm. Stony Sept could have been, like Arya says, it's huge. It could have been another little old town, you know? Oh, as in like, you know, yeah, like a central location that where people keep coming in and out. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting point. I guess it didn't because maybe it didn't become affluent enough in terms of trade. Mm-hmm. Like a port. I mean, even in our real world, you'll see a lot of cities, but I don't know. It's close enough. It could have been something. It could have been something. It's interesting when you think of the people in Old Town that they became affluent and they attached themselves to the Targaryens as well, although they were already affluent and they kind of took some of that commercial control of the real estate, of religion, of culture. And it's like Stony Sept could have been a miniaturized version of that. Um, yeah, but only yeah, only until later, much later on in the Targaryen reigns that they start being like, you know what we really like? Religion. Well, but that's the Before thing, they right? Were like, they we think yeah. Anything associated with Magor's reign, besides the High Towers, but you know, the the stuff that went on with Magor's reign, it turns out soured a lot of people, I think, on that kind of control, that kind of cultural and religious control. There's not really a house mentioned associated, right? We learn there's a knight named Wilbert in this chapter that's described as kind of being in charge, but there's no Lord of Stony Sept. 
It's just stony sept. You know, there's nobody keeps this place. It seems that, I mean, Wilbert is what? He's a knight, so he's Sir Wilbert, but there's no house associated. We don't have banners hanging, even though obviously it's being used as the, the refuge and hideout for the king's men. Yeah, they're sworn to, you know, House Tully, but I do like the term, and by term, I do like the name Wilbert. <laughs> Wilbert. That's it. I just like it. Of course, this battle that we get in the world of Ice and Fire is really well outlined. We have this line, rightly famed, is Robert's grand victory at Stony Sept, also called the Battle of the Bells, where he slew the famous Sir Miles Mouton, once Rhaegar's squire, and other men besides, and might as well have killed the new hand. Lord Connington had battle brought them together. The victory sealed the entry of the Riverlands into the conflict following the marriage of Lord Tully's daughters to Lord Aaron and Stark, because this was, of course, crucial. After this came the marriage of mom and dad. There's also the line about this, the bells ringing for a day and night at Stony Sept, and singers and begging brothers going from town to town to proclaim men of the trident were their own masters once again. It's something that we see, yeah, John Connington even, like, reflect upon, right? Like, in his chapters. Yeah, so this this comes back. It's interesting that we get it in Arya's chapters, and that she ends up over in, like, the in Essos, which is where John's story... Not that John, this John. The, <laughs> where John Connington's story is, like, picking up, and then... I feel like there's some ways that her storyline is going to intersect with John Con's in some way, like at least the Golden Company. Maybe it's through mm-hmm. like Illyrio's stuff. So yeah, I feel it's like interesting that she's getting this. They both have that draw to King's Landing, which we'll talk about later too. That King's Landing is like a a location on their map that they have a quest at that they need to fulfill. Yeah, maybe they could cross paths. It's kind of fun that we got two the kids, right, of two of the guys who fought this war here right now on their little road trip through here. Only one of them doesn't know that their dad was in it. But Arya sure does. It's probably cool learning about, I don't know, nobody really thinks of Ned as, like, this war hero in that way. Right? Like, they think of him as being part of the rebellion and being instrumental and instrumental to spending the new reign. But nobody really thinks of him as, like, a warrior. And I think... I, I don't think he thinks of himself as one, mm-hmm. so yeah, we, it's just interesting. We talked a lot about it, I think, way back in the front of the podcast when we first covered the Ned oh, chapters. wow. Yeah, I know. I'm bringing back the deep fucking lore, which... Uh, wow, end of year. I know. Really looking back in time. And our <laughs> retrospective, our retrospective, pronounced like the Vavavitch, retrospective. Uh no, I think we did talk about it a little bit back then, too, because, I mean, obviously, yeah. even George has stated, you know, no, Ned's not a warrior. Ned was busy doing a fuckload of things during the Rebellion. It's echoed a little bit in Davos, right, where Davos goes north and gets to, to Sisterton and, yes, grieving. But also, you know, he was doing a few things behind the scenes. Yeah. But Battle of the Bells was Ned's battle. This was the battle that he kind of was known for when his harder battle was really in Dorne. God, I feel bad for Ned. Ugh. That man went through a lot. That man went through so much. So much. Well, the gates of the Stony Sept are pretty tightly closed, but they open up for the Brotherhood, who shows up, checks up on their food stores. It turns out they're being raided pretty often. Wolves one day, mummers the next, and everyone's on lookout for the Kingslayer who escaped from Lord Edmure, someone says. 
The talk is, of course, that Hoster is dead or dying, true, and everyone thinks that Jamie is making to get by his father's side. We're told of a new character, the Huntsman, who helps bring sheep to the stony sept. He shepherds them. The Huntsman lost more than just family in the war to the Westermen. They burned his crops, ate half his sheep, killed the other half for spite, killed his dogs, raped his wife and his sister. Arya rides between Harwin and Angai down the street, spotting a sept on a hill in a very small stone holdfast, much too small for the size of the town. But every third house they pass is burnt, and she sees no people. She asks if they're dead, but Angai points out that some of them are on roofs, some hiding in the rubble, and he says, they're only shy. More people come out of hiding. Yeah, they're just shy. They're just, you know, they don't take well the new people. Yeah, they're just introverts. (laughs) Me too. More people begin to come out of hiding, and Stony Sept comes to life. At the market square, they find a fountain with a leaping trout and women filling pails and flagons at it. Yeah, then you have these crow cages that are hanging from the wooden posts, but the crows are perched on the bars or splashing in the waters. They are not inside of the cages, because inside the cages are people really squished in there. The men discuss the Northmen and the, how the mummers are raiding the village, but Arya, she's horrified. She's watching the cages. And they're not just any men. They are Northmen, caught by the mad huntsmen, stuck inside the cages that allow no room for turning or moving. Carrying crows had eaten out the eyes of the first three cages. And so there are these empty sockets that created an optical illusion, so it feels like they're following Arya. Really fun. But in the next cage, there's one man stirring. He's begging for water, and it really, really has some, like, opening of the sworn sword short story vibes oh yeah absolutely and she's egg as hell here egg as hell that girl egg as hell she very eggy i don't know so another dead man who has been castrated has uh and also has maggots crawling out of the hole that i guess used to be his genitals um is in the next cage there's also later on a fat man and the iron bars are digging painfully into him he's also very red from the sun and as he turns you can like see the stripes of the sunburn on him it's kind of terrible awful really grotesque looking and Arya's seen a lot of this stuff obviously on the road so far as a prisoner of war at Harrenhal she's seen some pretty gross stuff but this is some pretty sad conditions like I just the way that the cages are described and how tall they are and how you really can barely even be in them, it ain't right. Not good. No, Mm-mm. it's not. It, it's it's like literally torturous and what it's meant to be a prolonged death sentence, maybe. I mean, I think to some extent it is a prison, right? They're just holding the captives there. But for some of them, it is, I think, maybe meant to be a death sentence. Yeah, and... Moreover, especially with some of the reading we're doing, when it comes to Hunger Games and other series and good old dystopia, it doesn't make it look like the people here that are in charge want justice. It doesn't make it look like they're seeking retribution for the crimes that were committed. It looks like torture. It looks like control. It doesn't look good. That's all. Not great. Yeah. Or, I mean... You're starting to really see since, like, they're not following any of the will necessarily of, like, a lord or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. as you said, it's not necessarily justice. It's a, 
it's hunger for vengeance, right? That's kind of what's happening here. Hunger. It's like the five minute hate mm-hmm. in in 1984. It doesn't make anyone feel better. That's for sure. I do want to point out something fun. We have the huntsman, right? The mad huntsman that's introduced here as a, a newcomer to the cast. And it makes me think of the huntsman in Snow White. And I know this is maybe like a silly, obvious connection, but the huntsman is named as one of Beric's followers, not Lady Stoneheart's later when the schism occurs in the Brotherhood. So when they separate, he's named as someone that follows Beric we read in the uh, appendix, not Lady Stoneheart. So he follows the queen, or he doesn't follow the queen, sorry. He chooses not to follow the queen, where the huntsman in Snow White goes against the queen's wishes and lets Snow White go in the woods, which I think is kind of fun. Mm. Yeah. And I think, if I recall, the last time we see him, he's south of the Mander. I think, did he go with Greenbeard, maybe? But he goes south of the Mander with the money they steal from Sandor in this book. So that's the last place he went, and we'll come back to his role later against Sandor, right? I think there's something interesting going on with him and Sandor, because Sandor also very much has a Huntsman Snow White kind of plot, right? He shows up at Sansa's room, puts a knife to her neck, but then doesn't kill her, tries to ransom Arya, but then ends up letting her go in the end. Sure, he's bleeding out, but, you know, he, he changes his mind on Arya as well, where he should be gunning to turn her in or make money off her or whatever. So I thought that was kind of fun, kind of a little huntsman plot going on for both of them. Yeah, I like that you've tied it into the Snow White story. And as you said, Sandor's storyline kind of feels a lot like that fairy tale. And I don't know if this is Brothers Grimm, but I'm going to say, you know, the Brothers Grimm cinematic universe, I think <laughs> I sometimes also associate the huntsman. <laughs> Chloe was like, what the fuck? There for a minute. Um, BGCU. The, <laughs> the GGCU. GGCCU. The, I associate the Huntsman to an extent with like the story of Little Red Riding Hood. He might be a different Huntsman, but he's also some sort of hunter, right? And like he is kind of helping with the wolf issue. <laughs> and these people feel like they have a wolf issue right now. Yeah, they do. I think they have some other issues too, but that is one of them. There's yeah. a lot of things going on. I like sure. that. Yeah, the wolf issue. Mm, mm. Speaking of the wolf, wolf issue, right? She's like, "Who? Whose men are these?" And a townsman tells her, and you know, calls her a boy. But to pay no mind that they put people to the sword at Tumblers Falls while looking for the Kingslayer, and that these guys didn't find him, so instead they just did some murdering and raping. And that this was their punishment for that. Then the heavy man calls down, begging for water again. And then for mercy, for a swallow, for water. And, I mean, there it is, you know, the begging for mercy. And, you know, you kind of think about, or I just think about this, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But, like, if Rob hadn't put on this farce about, like, oh, Jamie escaped. I have to tell them Jamie escaped because otherwise no one will respect me as king. Because, as we know, Kat freed him because she wanted to save her daughters and shit. Like, would all of this have happened? Like, would these guys have felt like, oh, we gotta go find the Kingslayer and then felt entitled to go around, like, murdering and raping? And, I mean, they probably would have, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's pointed for Arya to ask who these guys were and for them to not answer because the point is they're broken men. 
and people see them as on the side of the wolves. And she's learning that, as we discussed a few chapters ago, yes, real-life wolves do hurt people, that is why they are perceived as dangerous, and they probably would, in fact, eat babies. Uh, but they they don't tell her whose side these guys are really on. Like It really, again, hammers home that broken men idea that they don't care what side they're fighting for. They don't care about the games that the High Lords are playing. They're just there to get theirs. It's interesting, too, that, you know, Harwin stands in as a mentor for a couple of these chapters of, like, giving Arya answers to some of these questions. But here, they mm. don't tell her whether out of protection or whether there just isn't time right now and it's a silly question to, that they don't want to answer for her. But it's interesting they protect her because a lot of Arya's issue with like understanding black and white gray politics in the beginning and what's been happening in the front of this story is like no one explained it to her. Well, I don't think most people explain it to nine-year-olds in general, right? Yeah. You only learn later on this idea of nuance, greenness, that yeah, there are bad people like on on all the sides and she's learning that now. She's like, wait, I'm sorry, we're not the good guys, but she's like, mm -hmm. we're also not the bad guys. We're just the guys. We're just the guys. <laughs> We're just the guys. And I don't know. It's also interesting that some of these townspeople think, oh, those wolves and like Rob's camp, they're all just like fattening themselves up over in the Westerlands. I'm like, we've been in those chapters with Kat. That is not what's happening. Mm -hmm. But and they, it's a, they see. It's an interesting echo because it's the same schism that happens to them. Like the Brotherhood has a schism later and this is the schism for Rob's team. Yeah, that's a great point. So, yeah, they they feel that the Northmen have not been taking care of the Riverlanders who threw mm -hmm. in with them because they were tied by, I mean, you were talking about Sony Sept and the Marriage Alliance. They're tied, again, by these Marriage Alliances. Hell, it's what I said last week with Karm. Remember that, okay, well, he's supposed to be the king of the river and of the north, so... Mm -hmm. This is your kingdom, buddy. Welcome to being a king, Robbie boy. Well, he's not. Yeah, he's not doing great at it, but that's probably why he dies. Jesus. <laughs> Anyways, uh, another. No, he dies because it was uh, it was underhanded. Mm -hmm. Another fever dream I had was where I forgot about this entire scene and Arya giving the water to him, and I realized D and D gave that to Danny and asked to pour. They're happening around the same remember. time. It's not the show. The water's not in the yeah. In the show, Danny uh, goes and gives the slaves water that are up and crucified. Where I, I thought it was book. I'm like, damn D and D, interesting. Interesting that they he moved it around. But oh yeah, I vaguely remember this mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. Not that Danny wouldn't do that, right? Like I look back to Dorea's no. death. She stays with Dorea the entire time. Gives her water from her own skin. Cools her brow holds her hand till she fucking dies. It's pretty awful. But I just was like, oh, interesting. That's where that plot point went. Uh, I was really like, in my head, I was like, this didn't happen in, in the show. Wow. I do think this would have been a great scene for the show to help illustrate what was going on with the Karstarks. Now that I look back, I'm like, I don't know why they didn't think of it before George did. I think this is so interesting, too, because there's that moment where she almost sees Amory Lorch as a human, right? Like, just for a moment. 
And I think that this adds to that for her and to the lesson she's learning. And Sandor is the next step of that right at the end of the chapter and later throughout the book. Like, was he a bad person? Yes, Amory was a bad person. Yeah, I but, was like, yes. But she's also understanding and realizing, like, the people that do what they have to to stay alive, to take orders to survive, right? Like, she's so close to realizing the systemic pressures that cause all of this here. and. I don't know, her internal understanding is really important that this man, despite his crimes, is thirsty and a human, and someone should give him water. Anyone should give these men water. Water is a very fundamental human right. Yeah, it's it's also, like, kind of goes together with Theon's storyline, right? Theon, mm -hmm. who was very close to their family. Theon, who does very bad things. Not as bad as, I think, Amory... I don't know. Actually, Theon does a lot of really bad things. <laughs> I, I don't think it makes sense to equivocate... You can all moralize about that. Um, all of the things that a lot of the characters do bad things. So, but anyways, like, is it justice what happens to Theon in his storyline versus, as you pointed out, right? Like, is what's happening to these men here, like, necessarily justice or is this just prolonging circles of pain? Is it justice or is it just us, you know? Wow. What is that from again? I know that's a meme. Is it? I, I just made it up. Oh, I thought it oh. I thought it was. Wow. No. It was so catchy. Thank you. We have a passage where Arya's thinking. Wolves, she thought again. Like me. Was this her pack? How could they be Rob's men? She wanted to hit them. She wanted to hurt them. She wanted to cry. They all seemed to be looking at her, the living and the dead alike. Ugh. Arya swings down from her horse and brings a cup to the fish's mouth, filling it with water, moving toward the cages. I love that. She's taking water from the fish's mouth, which is interesting with her Tully Ooh. imagery. The townsmen try to stop her, but Harwin and Lem tell the townsmen, leave her be. Beric doesn't cage men to die of thirst. The townsman growls that their crimes don't deserve decency, but Arya gives them water all the same, Gendry helping to give her a leg up. The townsman threatens that the huntsman won't like this when he returns. Angai then strings his longbow and gives mercy to the caged men. Valar Morghulis, Arya thought. I did think that was really interesting. We're starting to get some foreshadowing about where Arya's storyline is going to go and the lessons she's going to learn. Because, again, earlier that man was begging for mercy. And honestly, like, that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, apparently, right? Here he's acting, asking for some comfort, reprieve, and therefore she offers him water, which is life-giving. Whereas Ingai does a different kind of mercy, which is life-taking, an end to his suffering. And, I mean, even kind of parallels in the action, right? Because he, he uses a bow and arrow. John giving an act of mercy to Rattlemance at the beginning of Dance. Mm -hmm. Well, then it's a perfect mirror to Storm Chapter 13, right? For Arya herself, because that's where she gives mercy to the squire. Almost exactly. They give him something to drink, yeah. and then she kills him for the first time as her like final test, and then Sandor, but she doesn't give him Brilliant. mercy. It it's a perfect mirror. Yeah, it is. It is actually... Literally a perfect mirror. So wonderful that we're getting this arc like all together in A Storm of Swords. 
My God, I love 2024. I can't wait for more Sam Bob. <laughs> it's the year. It's the year, Sandor. We're starting, you know. Is it the year of the dog? What is? Hold on. Year. Must be the season of the dog. 2024 Chinese Zodiac. Oh, it's the dragon. Sorry, everyone. Ah, uh, well, that's more signs for Unleash the D to come back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I really am excited about this next passage. Uh, we have to keep it. I, I love everything about the peach. So here we are. We're introduced to the peach. It's a modest inn with whitewashed walls and broken windows and a sign above the door, a shingle, painted as a peach with a bite taken out of it. They get off at the stables where Greenbeard yells for a, a groom and a buxom red-headed innkeep comes to meet them. This is Tansy that we've talked about before. Not that Tansy. Uh hmm. And we get this back and forth, rowdy, raucous exchange as it's just like the perfect intro to you're going to a um, hole in the wall in. Greenbeard, is it? Or Greybeard? Mother take mercy, when'd you get so old? Len, is that you? Still wearing the same ratty cloak, are you? I know why you never wash it, I do. You're afraid all the piss will wash out, and we'll see you're really a knight of the Kingsguard. And Thomas Evans, you randy old goat. You come to see that son of yours? Well, you're too late. He's off riding with that bloody huntsman. And don't tell me he's not yours. He hasn't got my voice. Tom protests weakly. He's got your nose, though. I and the other parts as well to hear the girls talk. She spied Gendry then, and pinched him on the cheek. Look at this fine young ox. Wait till Alice sees those arms. Oh, and he blushes like a maid, too. Well, Alice will fix that for ya. Boy, see if she don't. Arya had never seen Gendry turn so red. Tansy, you leave the bull alone. He's a good lad, said Tom Seven Strings. All we need from you is safe beds for a night. Speak for yourself, Singer. Angai slid his arm around a strapping young servant girl as freckly as he was. Beds we got. There's never been no lack of beds at the peach. But you'll all climb in a bathtub first. Last time you lot stayed under my roof, you left your fleas behind. like Paris and their bed bugs. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, wee oui. wee. Oui, oui. <laughs> That's this place. Um, so, fun scene. Gendry, also, again, everyone is always describing him as, like, the bull. He's really, he's really taken that on with his, like, fun armor, but apparently everyone feels that way about him, too, being as strong as an ox. I mean, oxes and bulls are, like, they're basically the same creature. Uh, and perhaps slash it's likely i think that he'll start his own house or will change the baratheon sigil in some way because i think if his uncle stannis can do it so can he and i like gentry more than stannis and unlike those dainty deers of the baratheons that end up being prey the ox slash bull is a hard-working animal all right and you know what so is gentry he's a hard-working man of the people but he he really is again paragon of positive masculinity except for his slight blips in this chapter but he's not like 
doing anything bad. He's just he's just being a teenage boy who's frustrated at life. Yeah, ox and bull are basically synonymous except um oxes are male or female bulls are always male and oxes are larger than bulls on average bulls are smaller and oxes are usually castrated for the most part where bulls aren't for breeding is the big difference so Mm -hmm. yeah um i don't know i I think also it comes to like what they're bred for like ox are usually bred for work where bulls are bred for breeding uh which is kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting distinction for gendry Right, bull versus ox, like being bred for breeding, which is what would have happened if he was a prince. If he was Robert's trueborn son, he would have been bred for breeding instead of bred for work. So because he was not more of an ox, I guess, he's bred for for work. And I don't know, I think it's really fun for like bastard sigils too. I love what you brought up that I definitely think he'll start his own cadet branch, you know, of Baratheon. Oh my god, his Baratheon branch. And We've seen a couple other bastard sigils, right? I think of, like, Bittersteel did his mom's sigil, where the Bracken sigil is, like, the brown plate or brown shield with, like, yellow with the horse on it, a red horse on yellow with, I don't know, whatever, like, red, brown, yellow is the Bracken sigil with that horse. And he did the horse, and then he did his dad's sigil, black wings off of the horse, so red dragon wings would have been the Targaryen sigil, right? Red on black. But he did black wings, so reverse, to show he's a bastard. So that's kind of cool, like a very special little thing. And Walder Rivers, who we see in this book actually a bit, he did a little more modern take, the Frey sigil being gray with blue towers on it. Instead, it's a gray tower set on a blue shield, and there's a red bend or like a big sinister red bend through it, across through it. So, Eliana, I'm showing you. Maybe we'll put it in the, in the episode for those listening. But I made a sigil for you of what Gendry's sigil could be. So maybe the opposite mm. of the Baratheon sigil, a yellow or gold bowl on, like, a black plate with a gold border or with, like, a gold uh, sinister on it with a gold slash through it. That could be interesting. That could be cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And, yeah, I like the little gold accents for him, especially, I mean, he's probably going to play a role in the Long Night, so yeah. it would be good for him to have, like, much more of that, like, sort of black field on it. And and if John did similar, I, it would be kind of a cool aw. contrast, too, right? If John did, like, a, yeah. a inverse Stark instead of the, the white on gray, it would be gray on white. So kind of yeah. contrasting Gendry. And, I mean, I love the Walder Rivers shout-out. I think he's a very interesting oh, yeah. prey. Walder Rivers. Bastard Walder. He's he's not, like, fun in that, like, he's a fun dude, but, like, he's a... <laughs> I just... He's, I think, one of the more interesting preys. So, there's also talk of someone, right, being... Of someone's kid slash bastard, one of Tom's kids slash bastards, right? But this discussion... Of bastardy and the discussion of Gendry follows like right after, and then this idea of well, he might not got your voice, but he has all these other things that look just like you, those inherited <laughs> traits. And I'm like, hmm, interesting, interesting that we would discuss inherited traits right before Gendry. But I will say, like, reading the text of the innkeep and how she's characterized, it reminds me of like, I don't know if you know this, like, comedian. On, on Instagram and TikTok, Delaney Rowe. She does, mm-hmm. like, a bunch of those little sketches of, like, you know, 
uh, girl who's convinced you're in love with her, she does one of the female bartender in every movie written by a man, and it is. I love like this. the the girl next door friend. It's so funny. Yes, yes, I like her series. So. I love all of her series. Um, She's so funny. She cracks me up. There's a couple of them. Like, oh, you know, just very, like, relaxed and chill and not like other girls, but exactly like other girls. Very funny. Very good stuff. Highly recommend watching her TikTok or Instagrams. Yeah, she does uh, some really funny parodies of, I mean, tropes that you're all familiar with. (laughs) Tropes that might embody us once in a while. My God. Wow. Wow. Uh, Self-reflection. So Tansy, the innkeep, asks if they want food, which of course they do. So she tells her girls Cass, Lana, and Jizine to chip in and get food, water, and clothing all started for everyone. I thought this was interesting that Lana, I'm not saying it's like not a popular name. It is a popular name. There's lots of girls named Lana, especially from the Westerlands. Uh, Everyone wants to name them after the Lannisters, but, or like Lan the Clever, but Lana is also a girl at the Happy Port brothel. Out in huh. Essos, so Arya gets two Lanas for the price of none. Yeah, I, and again, that's something that I do like in George's world building. People were bringing up us talking about Pate a few episodes ago, and I like that there's repetition of names. It probably makes it very confusing, but it feels real. Yeah. What's also real is that Arya wants to skip bathing because she's like, I don't understand. I already bathed twice, and it hasn't even been like two weeks. It's not even been a fortnight, and Tansy, though, will not let that pass, will not relent. So they steal the clothes off of her that Lady Smallwood gave her and then dress her up like one of Sansa's dolls, gowning her in linen and lace, which is really sad considering, you know, the the way that last chapter ended with Lady Smallwood recognizing, I think these clothes would suit you better. And then Arya eats dinner in her stupid girl clothes, but remembers something that Syria told her, which is... The trick of looking and seeing what was there. And so, when she looks, she sees more serving wenches than any inn needs. Most are young and comely. And in the evenfall, she notices that the men are coming and going, and that none of them linger long in the living area. She whispers to Gendry that it must be a brothel. He tells her, do you even know what a brothel is? And she's like, it does. It's an inn with girls. And she's Kendrick not wrong. A frustrated. She's not wrong. I mean, she's literally not wrong. Kendrick <laughs> gets a little frustrated and angry during all of this and tells her that, well, wait, you shouldn't even be here because a brothel is no place for a high-born lady. And then one of the girls comes over and she's like, who's high-born? And then laughs when she learns it's Arya. So the girl says, I'm a king's daughter myself. And Arya's like, okay, so you're mocking me. That's cool. And she's like, no, you're not. And the girl's like, whatever. She shrugs and her gown's slipping from one shoulder. And she says, yeah, King Robert used to fuck my mom all the time. Said he was, you know, that's that was his favorite, his favorite one here. And Arya's like, yeah, she's like, she fucked all of the other girls too. But. Yeah, she's like, Robert fucked her, 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 but didn't fuck <laughs> her as much as he fucked my mom. Look, here I am, and. Arya thinks, well, the girl does have black hair like the king's, black as coal, but this couldn't possibly mean anything because Gendry has the same black hair, and, you know, people can just have black hair. <laughs> uh, great mirror, though, to Sansa, right, who was like, Joffrey's nothing like that drunk old king. Both were so close, out of the mouths of babes, you know, out of the mouths of babes, my God. It's kind of fucked up that, like, 
so this is all correct you know she there's a joke she's making there that we are in on as the reader of like people couldn't just have black hair right and then george is out here being like i don't know you guys people can just have eyes that are similar colors and similar coloring and it's like everyone's sinking too deeply into it when he gives people like similar like coloring or, or whatever mm. but it's like i understand george's point because it's true i share black hair with many people in this world mm -hmm. but also george you did this you did this to yourself you just know yourself. he's winking at the camera right now he's like uh, get it uh, uh wink Anyone could have black hair, but it is also fun because Gendry is, like, another shadow of the Lyanna and Rhaegar plot, right? He's a boy. When I think of, like, children born around the Rebellion, there you go. He was born because of sex at the Rebellion. Rob was also conceived very soon after this, right? Which means all these people's parents were fucking right around the battle at Stony Sept. So not only them, but then you have... Liana was fucking Rhaegar, literally at that same time as Robert was fucking Bella's mom. Um, so I just thought that was kind of fun too. Like this is also a nod at Liana and John, right? Interesting, because John has the same hair as Liana, the same eyes as Liana, the same face is there. Yeah, everyone was just really fertile at this time, I guess, and uh, everyone's period synced. So oh my god, everyone's just <laughs> their cycles were synced. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, Arya, again, not wrong about what a brothel is. And apparently there are some places, so first of all, in Virginia, apparently you cannot have more than, like, what is it, four or five single women all living in a house together. Oh. Until it's a brothel? It's con yeah, it's considered, like, legally a brothel or something. Mood. So, anyways, Arya's not wrong, but also I think it's... Like, really interesting having Arya learning about what sex work is here, especially because, as you said, like, she goes to some other brothels, and then she actually spends a lot of time around sex workers in Bravos. And, I mean, she she's a highborn lady, but she's also like, I don't, I don't get it. What's the big deal? Everyone's just chill people hanging out, right? And it's also a good place to get intel, as, as we'll see. Yeah, I want to add, too... It's interesting because even though her, it's just an in with girls comment is like obviously very young, like, oh, Arya, you don't know what goes on at brothels. It's also, you can see it is that, like they have a normal life. It like, is that. They're all sitting around all day braiding each other's hair, doing chores. Sometimes they make food and then they have visitors come who pay them gifts and are sweet to them and they have little fun flirts with them and then they eventually do, you know generally fuck yeah. but i'm like that's not i mean a lot of us do it for free is all i'm gonna say yeah like i said Arya's not wrong and as you said like she just finds out i don't know it's just chill at brothels and it does depend on the establishment and the mm -hmm. brothel we see that this one is uh nicely run and and treats their workers well it seems and you know it's a good place to get intel ultimately but also turns out bella actually is kind of highborn i don't know if like i don't know i still sometimes don't understand like the bastard rules of like are they highborn are they not when they're a bastard depending whatever and then some of them get to have a fun last name some of them don't anyway but Having Bella there, I mean, Gendry's all like, highborn ladies shouldn't be in brothels, but that's not true, as we see throughout A Song of Ice and Fire history, right? Like, you have characters such as the Black Swan, and then the Black Pearl, who, like, is, 
I don't know, not really highborn, but kind of highborn because again, I don't really understand these rules. Mm -hmm. And then you have another quote unquote highborn lady, aka quote unquote Arya, aka Jane Poole, who is also, as we find out, like she's probably in a brothel at this time in the story. And by brothel, we mean she's being sex trafficked by Littlefinger and forced to be there. For her to learn to eventually play the role of highborn lady Arya, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know, just kind of interesting to think about. And then also, you know, this is something that I think we brought up during the Catelyn Stark chapters. The idea of, like, Gendry feeling that highborn ladies should not be in brothels or whatever. And then this dichotomy between highborn ladies and, like, the lowborn ones and, like, how bodies become commodified, right? Like, the people feel that, you know... The lowborn bodies are there to satiate our lust, whereas we must put all these highborn ladies on a pedestal. And that's a different kind of objectification where they're only for procreation and uh, sealing alliances and shit. Yeah, all the rules that are placed on these bodies, right? And you look at Arya really gets a full span of understanding of sex work in Essos and in Westeros. Oh, true. Um, When you're comparing them, right? Like women in brothels in Essos, well... I mean, Essos is systemic. Where there's slavery, there's always going to be exploitation. Obviously, it's kind of within the entire bounds of it. Uh, And Essos was founded on slavery. And you see a lot of these families, some of the girls like Lana at Happy Port, she's born into a family that her mother is also a sex worker, right? Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Westeros, it's interesting because not only is it what value that they're putting commodifying on these women, and these sex workers, but also that they're putting shame and that they're told, yeah. people are told that sex workers and brothels are a low rung of society, that we do not care what happens to them. Stony Sept is an outlaw town right now. You know, Westeros doesn't care what happens to the people in this brothel. You think about, That's like true. you were saying with Bella, that she technically is could be highborn. She wasn't recognized by Robert right necessarily so she didn't necessarily get rivers bella rivers as her name so she kind of unfortunately didn't get any benefit of having her baby daddy there bella's dad be you know give her anything but um you think of like the women that are born to the sex work in essos and even how the sex work is framed there there's no way to say one place like Essos is better than the other and vice versa. There's always going to be exploitation, but the shame that's involved in that, like only lowborn scum go to brothels in Westeros is how it's framed by the faith, how it's framed by culture and society. And that highborn men shouldn't be going to those establishments. Highborn ladies shouldn't be seen in an establishment like that. These are, you know, that's the gutter. You shouldn't be going there, but everyone does it. Yeah. Everyone does it. And also even Robert, (laughs) What you said just now actually, like, unlocked another memory, right, from the Ned chapters in which, you know, you're saying high- people think that highborn men should not be going to brothels, but we know they're going there all the time, right? It's part mm-hmm. of, like, Tywin's shame around Tyrion, even though it turns out Tywin does the same thing. It's it's this sort of, like, puritanical culture around around sex and sex work in, in Westeros, but you have that moment where they're like, highborn ladies should not be in brothels yet. Remember, Ned visits a brothel, and turns out highborn lady Catelyn Stark (laughs) is being hidden in it. So another fun little parallel between Arya and her mother. 
Yes, there you go. Oh, I love. God damn, Eliana, I fucking love you. Well, no, it's because of it's because of you. You you've been unlocking. You've been earlier today <laughs> in this chapter. You were like, remember those Ned chapters? And I was like, oh my gosh, we did. No, do I those. don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Interesting too, because Ned uh, has that little judgmental. Somehow he didn't think Rhaegar would go to brothels. Line, you know. Um, that's a good point. He threatens Littlefinger for it too. He's like, "How dare you say that my wife is in the brothel?" And we know that Ned there. is, you know, socially conservative, fiscally liberal. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, also, I think maybe we should be- beat up. No, I'm just, maybe we should beat up Peter Baelish. No, I do think not, we should beat then, him then up. We get but... this. No, but that's why how we ended up in this mess in the first place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's something interesting in Westeros looking down on sex workers and condemning those that frequent these establishments, but also condemning other opportunities for them. It's interesting because I know people like sometimes they'll do like these fun threads of what would you be if you lived in Westeros? And there aren't very many options available. Mm-mm. It sounds like when you're a woman, which is also not necessarily true. This is a medievalism, mm-hmm. right? A lot of skilled workers like Smiths, People crafting leather, things like that, occupations such as that, were made up of women. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, you could choose to work at an inn with many with many girls, or you could choose to help build the inn. There are many options for you available, but this one's a perfectly respectable one. And again, like I just think it's so interesting that they have their own community, they have their own resources. Yeah, they aren't like sitting around like. I don't know, like, they have their own way that their world works, right? Like, these girls are, every day they do their housework. They have a town full of people that they talk to, you know? Like, they're not strangers. Um, It's just interesting how ostracized Westerosi society, culture, religion tries to make it seem when it's not. And you get the difference in that when Arya goes to Essos and how free and out and about all the women are and... I find it very yeah. interesting. Now I'm just worried. Now I'm worried about these people because you said all these wonderful things about them and what a great life that they fucking <laughs> have right now. And now I'm worried we're going to come back here in another book and it's going to be like, well, yeah, everyone's having a bad time. I don't know get, that like, I'd say, I mean, treatment. I don't know that I'd say like a great life. I will say that they're definitely like they make it work you know like they took their pocket of westeros and they've made it work for them but yeah i'd absolutely say that john connington would probably love to come back here and destroy the town for real this time i'm worried for them i'm worried for these people (laughs) all right well we're gonna worry for a lot of the people in the story so this happens every week uh Bella yeah. introduces herself. She was named for the bells during battle at Stony Sept and says to Gendry, do you want to ring my bell? Uh, she runs a hand down his arm saying, for friends of the lightning lord, I'm free. But Gendry says no twice and he angrily stalks away. Bella's a little shocked and asks Arya, does he like girls? And Arya's like, oh yeah, absolutely. He's just stupid. He likes to polish helmets and beat swords with hammers. <laughs> She tells her not to take it personally, and Bella decides to go stake her luck with Jack Be Lucky for the night, hope he's nimble and quick as well, instead. And the men kind of all start to dissipate with different women throughout the night. Yeah, there's, so there's a lot of like, oh no, stuff going on when you think of Gendry and Bella's interactions here. But I will say, you know, if it did 
If there was an interaction, I mean, the Baratheons do have Targaryen blood after all. That's for fucking sure. More than once. One if, like, Ori's Baratheon was an offshoot of, or like, a bastard mm -hmm. brother of Aegon. And the other with their grandma. Or I guess it would be Gendry's great-grandma. Mm-hmm. Ray. Yeah, Ray. Our friend, Ray. A ray of song. <laughs> Tom sits at the campfire, singing and strumming to a song, The Maids That Bloom in Spring, while Arya sips watered-down wine and listens in. Everyone's jolly in the peach, but yet across the square, the dead men rot in cages. She thinks that inside, some of these people are laughing too hard, and how easy it could be to steal a horse, aka they're drunk, and run away. But the captain at the gates wouldn't let her pass, and Harwin would come after her, or the huntsman with his dogs, or some other dogs, like Sandor. Yeah, I like that That still, like, on her mind, she's like, we can steal a horse, or we can steal the boat. You know, she's always just like, what vehicle can I steal today? All girls want to do is steal horse and eat hot chip. And, and lie. lie. <laughs> she does like doing that. Yeah. Eat worm and lie. <laughs> eat worm and lie. <laughs> a worm. Uh, a worst. I have to say, the songs that are being played by Tom, here first we get The Maids That Bloom in Spring, and we'll move on after that to Two Hearts That Beat as One. Uh, Abel also sings this one, Mance sings this one at the wedding in Winterfell, so I thought that was interesting to bring together those chapters of Jane's marriage. And I do want to shout out there's a concept album by Alex Ratner called Tyrell, and they do their own version of this with some guest singers, and it's very fun. Uh, I really rather like it. I'll leave you a link below. You guys got to check it out, because it's just like a fun little concept album, and it's only a minute and a half long, the song is, but the entire album is basically a concept album called Tyrell, where I'm just going to read this description to you guys word for word, because I think you're going to like it. Welcome to Highgarden, oasis of female leadership and sexual tolerance within a not-too-distant a not too distant medieval patriarchy. A musical parody prequel to HBO's Game of Thrones, this one-act chamber oh. piece tells the untold backstory of House Tyrell before the series begins. Of all the great houses of Westeros, House Tyrell is the only one led by a woman, Olena Tyrell, who's busy grooming her grandchildren, Loras and Marjorie, for greatness. Commenting on Marjorie's objectification, Loras's double life as a closeted knight of flowers, and Olena's role as resident battleaxe grandma, Tyrell imagines what the secondary characters were thinking all along. It's very fun. Aww. Yeah. That is fun. That is fun. And yeah, coming coming to you uh, alongside our also <laughs> we have parody uh, prequel to HBO's reached out to join Alex Ratner in bringing the musical no we haven't and we have not no we, we have haven't that. it is us Dominic and Duncan uh but Alex Ratner if you're listening and you want to join on in musical creative department please let us know there's also something interesting uh two hearts that beat it was one are is also sung by Abel at the Arya wedding in Winterfell so we get the same songs mirrored back to us in a dance with dragons and we do hear about this one in the mystery night as well. Uh, Lord Ambrose Butterwell marries a Frey daughter, and the Frey daughter's sister sings this song as well. But the question I bring to you today about Two Hearts That Beat as One is, was George inspired by U2's 1983 hit, Two Hearts Beat as One? 
I, I think so. I'm going to read you guys the lyrics, you know, some slam poetry. I'm not going to sing it right now. I'm not feeling it. Last week I sang. You got my singing last week, and that was off the cuff, okay? So uh, saving it for the musical. But <laughs> this is off the album War in 1983. I don't know which side I'm on. I don't know my right from left or my right from wrong. Say I'm a fool. Say I'm nothing. But if I'm a fool for you, oh, that's something. Two hearts beat as one. Two hearts beat as one. Two hearts. I can't stop the dance. Honey, this is my last chance. I said can't stop the dance. Maybe this is my last chance. I do think that he was probably inspired by this song. I do think that. I do think that. I think, especially after reading a couple of George's short stories, we're really getting a sense of... I mean, music plays a big role in his inspiration, and... Honestly, a lot of the stuff that U2 was, like, reacting to in their music is very political in nature, and, like... I would not be surprised if uh, George did find some kinship in, in what what they were singing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I listened to it today. I was jamming and I was like, yeah, he had to have been. Mm-hmm. He had to have been. Yeah. Well, Tom, that old scoundrel, begins two hearts that beat as one and kisses a different girl after each verse. While Lem and Harwin sit under the window with Tansy. I'm sorry, I'm like struggling about this in a post-COVID world. Um, speaking in low voices, she's able to make out bits and pieces of the story, which seems to be about Catelyn and Brienne freeing the Kinslayer, oh but God. also told in a very scandalous way. Um, and then we have this line of her going, it's not true. She never would. She felt sad and angry and lonely all at once. It may- I'm sorry, that line perfectly encapsulates i don't know if you remember this twitter account back then like something ya author or like yes yes and would parody it and then it was like how can somebody feel two things at once or something like that was one of the lines and well aria (laughs) oh god poor aria what a betrayal this is such a feeling such a mood like hearing a rumor about your parent that seems like a lie and just like how we talked about Arya not knowing about the sides and the schism in her brother's armies, mm. she doesn't know what happened. And it comes back to Ned and his treason, right? Arya and Sansa with the same reaction. He would never, he would never do that. Cat and her treason now is what this is seen as, right? Without the details, the gray in between. And it kind of makes me think of John's bastardy as well, like... That Ned brought home John and said it was his bastard when it obviously wasn't, which is fitting considering we're at Stony Sept where Robert knocked someone up, hmm. had a bastard, you know. Uh, but John's where bastardy, yeah, where hasn't that happened? Yeah. Especially in Westeros. John's bastardy is probably a little secret like that for John to, for Ned too, right? That's a quote unquote treason. And then also, probably what the girls will think about when they hear John's been killed, right? Like, John would never, he would never commit treason. I really like how you've called this out because, I mean, that is what childhood is, right? Like being like, oh, I don't know. My parents would never do that mm-hmm. if your parents were, you know, paragons of virtue, like the way that Ned and Catelyn seem to do. And speaks to why Arya's like, I don't know, are, is my family going to accept me after all these mistakes I've made? But they've done some pretty big mistakes as well. And... I don't know, some of it is like kind of untrue, the way that these rumors are going, and I like that the lines that Arya hears are like that Catelyn set Jamie loose for love. They're not saying like it was because she loved 
Jamie, even though obviously that's what they're saying in their gossip. Mm-hmm. Because it is true. Catelyn did set Jamie loose for love, but for love of her daughters. And her son said she thinks her dead. But she did it for you, Arya. She did. She actually legitimately did. And and for Sansa. And it's I don't know. Of course it's, she wants you back, Arya. Oh. She wants you back. Your mom killed people too. It's fine. It happens to the best of us. It happens. Your mom did it a lot later on in this book. It happens. Your She's dad still killing today. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what the whole story is about this place that they visited. Think of all the people your dad killed, Arya. And now you're going to kill that yeah. many, too. Yeah. You've killed, like, such a small amount of people compared to that. But, I mean, it also <laughs> is, like, what Karma was saying last week, right? Of, you know, the gendered aspect of, like, it's okay. For for some people, for some bodies mm-hmm. to allow to be allowed violence and others not. Yeah, so big sad. So an old man pulls on up next to Arya and starts to hit on her, thinking that she's free game. She is not. Gendry's like, he shows up best timing, and he's like, "That's my sister. Get the fuck away from her." And he's like, "You shouldn't bring your sister to the peach, man. What's up with that?" Uh, <laughs> The man thinks about fighting him, and Gendry's like, I'm bigger, basically. He just stands, and he's like, eh, not gonna take my luck there. Yeah. I I like how Gendry's also, again, an example of, uh, you don't inherit certain traits from your parents, but, anyways. This scene isn't, like, about this, but it does focus on how Arya's forgetting who she is, like, with this lecherous man, but he's like, who are you? And this man is, like, way too old for her because she is a baby. Get away from her. You creep. Get a job. Get a job. Get Get it. (laughs) But, I don't know, there's an aspect of, like, Arya forgetting who she is, and it plays into this idea, I think, of dehumanization because of how this old man is coming Mm -hmm. at her. I don't know, just something I think about every now and then when, um, being dehumanized. But also... It's interesting when you think about it in contrast to Sansa, right, who is often put into these sorts of situations when it comes to, for example, Ser Dantos, who's supposed to be protecting her, or Marillion, right, who also does weird, creepy shit at her, and Littlefinger, and, like, these different kinds of survival that these two girls learn to survive in the world. I think Arya, we can see her throughout the story survive these much more overtly dangerous ones, right? Like... Mm -hmm. When it comes to, I mean, with the Brotherhood and being like, uh, no, but maybe don't shoot me with the arrows or surviving Hall. And then there are these other subtle ones that like many women and like people who are assigned female at birth know about when you have to be careful when you're turning down someone's advances. If you do it the wrong way and you don't like have protection, it can be dangerous. Yeah, you can get murdered. You can be assaulted. And like Sansa unfortunately has had to learn to maneuver those Mm -hmm. kinds of things for her she would not necessarily i mean she freezes a little but like she knows a little more how to react than Arya does who's she's like i don't know who i am Mm -hmm. and and then you have these lines of uh her telling gedry like that he's not her brother which you know it is good in fact he's like why would you say i'm not your brother i'm like this is good for you dude um because starks don't sibling letter (laughs) yeah i've read the 93 letter and like this is not an insult, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like what you've called out because 
Arya also isn't at the age where you're constantly looking around expecting to be assaulted as a young woman. Uh, you still get a but couple years, but it. she's getting to it. Yeah, she still have like one or two years usually in the real world. Depends. Sometimes less. Yeah, I don't know. sometimes sometimes it'll start at ten. Yeah, sometimes ten. Yeah, mine was probably eleven ish, ten ish, somewhere in there. But you know, you'd yeah. think you'd have just a little bit of uh, innocence still left before you have to start dodging all that. But this is that time, and to Gendry's point and credit, right? Like highborn ladies shouldn't be in this place getting hit on by old geezers but here she is here she is yeah i mean as far as i can tell no one as young as Arya is employed here which is again good speaks to the the greatness of this establishment all right Arya asks why gendry called her his brother and she gets pissed she's like you're not my brother and gendry gets mad back he's like yeah i'm too fucking low born to be your brother huh She's like, that is not at all how I meant it. You are putting words in my mouth, Gendry. And he sits down on the bench with his wine. He's like, why don't you go away so I can drink in peace? Go find that black-haired girl and I can ring her bell, maybe. And you shouldn't do that. I'm just coming to you as an expert. I'm going to let you know. Maybe hold off, you know, until you get the DNA test. But are you... Targaryen blood. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's rising up. <laughs> Incesty. Arya whirls around and leaves him there. She's super mad. She, she, in her head, she's calling him a stupid, bullheaded bastard boy. She says that's all he is. Wow, throwing the B word around. Interesting, Arya. Yeah. Canceled. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I, I will say again, Gentry. It is not bad that she's not letting you call her your her, her brother. And also, dang, where did that come from, Gentry? Holy shit. Ultimate, like, whoa, I did not say that. Um, I was talking about pancakes. Why are we talking about waffles? And <laughs> Arya, I don't know. I think she kind of reacts that, like that way to an extent because she's feeling raw. And Gendry not being her brother doesn't have anything to do with his status so much as like, sir, Arya actually has brothers. All right. She has brothers that she knew and grew up with. And this is a vulnerable time for her in that she thinks that maybe two of them are dead. One of them is at war, and she's worried about him all the time. And the other one that she loves a lot is really, really, really far, far away, and he's the only one who supported her, and she can't contact him. So she's just having a really bad time, and I don't know. I, it makes me also think of like that scene in Never Have I Ever where Davy says to like Kamala, she's like, I think of you as a sister, and Kamala's like, uh, I actually have sisters, so I think of you as a cousin, <laughs> and <laughs> which I relate to. As an only child, I'm like, is this person, do I feel like siblings with them? And they're like, I have siblings, Eliana? No? And that's that's what this is, Gendry. Chill. There's also something here that, like, Arya, obviously, like we just said, she's being forced to age faster than and differently True. than what she would have been like at home with her family if they had just stayed in Winterfell. Uh, her life is going very differently than it was supposed to, possibly, not going to plan. And Gendry's too, right? Uh, for Gendry's age, I mean, I don't think that he saw himself on the road with a band of outlaws also protecting a great lord's daughter that he didn't ask for. And he cares about her a lot. He cares about her like family. You can see that. He wouldn't have stepped or in not here. family. Yeah, he wouldn't have stepped in had he not. But that said, I think also it's that time that, like, he's, you know, 15, 16, 
He wants to get drunk and fuck a pretty girl here at the brothel. Like, why shouldn't he? He's had nothing but shit his whole life. Why shouldn't he want to do something? But there's something tugging him to protect Arya, to take care of her. And he feels a little bit of resentment at that, a little bit of resentment at not having his Mm. freedom because he's never had his freedom. And now he's like, well, this is the most free I've ever fucking been. And I still can't have that freedom. I think it's kind of interesting. Like, it comes out of resentment and also out of love in a way. Yeah. 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 George wanted his five year gap. And I think this is one of the reasons. So, yeah. If there was a five year gap, it would be easier for me to right now say to you, Gendry's frustrated because Arya's younger and a highborn lady and he probably wants to fuck her. But unfortunately, there's yeah, no five year gap. So, this is in layman's terms. Yeah, yeah. So, this is, yeah. I mean, it's very weird. And I'd be like, uh, maybe you should also get a job, Gentry. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Arya finds a mattress upstairs, one for the whole group, because I think we discussed this, was it in the Brienne or Catelyn chapters? That's the way that inns work, you know, people just all stay in the same room. They've only got so many beds, mm-hmm. and it's probably cheaper. Um, one for the whole group, grabs her real clothes that are hanging on the wall, getting out of the linen and lace that she was forced into, and puts herself into her tunic, and then she says her nighttime prayers. <laughs> and we have a line of, she liked to mix up the order of the names sometimes. It helped her remember who they were and what they'd done. Maybe some of them are dead, she thought. Maybe they're in iron cages someplace and the crows are picking out their eyes. Sleep came as quick as she closed her eyes. And just a random thought that I had when I was reading that, I'm like thinking of Doran Martell doing the exact same thing as Arya with like, maybe he has a little vengeance prayer too. Oh, I love that. I've, uh, I was just. <laughs> I love that for him. I do. I love, like, secret, vengeful, zaddy Doran Martell. I actually really love Doran. He makes me very sad. And got to shout yeah, out and recommend does. Learned Hands just put out a Doran Martell episode. And oh. at the time of this recording, at the front of December, I am only one hour for the in. Historians. It's uh, about a two and a half hour episode, but it's good. I'm like, we can't say anything. Last week's episode was long, but. Long episode, but very good, and I've gotten two workouts out of it so far, so I'm hoping to get a third or fourth, you know? I think I'm really milking this episode, but take a listen to it. It's pretty good so far. I actually wanted to poke some fun at what George put in here, because it's a little meta, that he has Arya say that sometimes she liked to mix up the order to help her remember who they are and what they did. Arya's prayer is a really cool framing device, I think back to when you pointed out the moon in Brand's plot and how it was kind of like showed a lot for passage of time or different things. I thought that was such a great anchoring point in his chapters. And Arya's prayer is actually a really great anchor point for a couple Mm. things. So one, passage of time. So if it's given more than once in a chapter, you can kind of figure out the chapter is not just a one day chapter that you're covering several different days or several different prayers. I think of a Storm of Swords one, you get the prayer twice in that. And then later in A Feast for Crow, in the second chapter for A Feast for Crows, will come to. She says her prayers three times that day. Very interesting. It tells us death of characters, right? Characters get removed from the list when they die. It tells us a change of heart mm. that Arya's had, removal from the list like Sandor. Hell, had Amory not died, maybe she would have removed him eventually. And then I think there's something interesting about prominence, and this is kind of like a very young thing, that when news is very prominent, So, for example, 
uh, this chapter, Cersei and Joffrey come to the front of the list, while Sandor and Gregor go to the bottom of the list. And that might be due to the war, right? She's been very centrally located in Gregor in the last handful of chapters. And here she's finally hearing a little bit about King's Landing on and off in this chapter. So... I don't know, just some food for thought. She's been very cut off from society and has been very close to the soldiers on the ground, so they've kind of had her her priority in her kill list. And I will say I made a spreadsheet as I was going through this. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, just, I have a whole spreadsheet now of the different changes to the prayer and the different order. And mm. there were some interesting moments that I kind of saw while using it for research, like a Clash of Kings 7, Whis comes in. That was when she started hating Whis. He gets added as number one because she hates his ass and he's such a dick in her everyday life. How could you forget about Whis? Clash of Kings 8, Chiswick dies. He gets taken off the list. Clash of Kings 10, Whis dies. Amory dies. They get removed from the list. Storm of Swords 1, Arya falls asleep before finishing her list. I don't think it's that important, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that she doesn't finish saying people on her list. She doesn't say Illin, Marin, Joffrey, or Cersei. Uh, in this chapter, we have Cersei and Joffrey move to the front of the list, Hound and Gregor at the end of the list. The irony, of course, being the Hound has moved to the end of this chapter. And Storm of Swords 8, she doesn't do her full prayer, but there's an observation of her prayer in passing, saying that she prayed it, but we don't get to hear the order. And then Storm of Swords 13, Polliver and Tickler die, and she leaves the Hound off of her list because she's with him now. Um, a Feast for Crows 1, Hound's been removed permanently. There's a spoiler I'm not going to give you, but something happens in Mercy, in the Winds of Winter. If you haven't read it, you should. And I don't know. I think there's... We will be covering it yeah. as a Patreon episode at some point. Yeah, it's coming for you, patrons. Get ready. At the end of Arya, we will come back to that. And I don't know. I think the uh, it makes me think about the Order in the Winds of Winter and what it might be like with what's left, right? Especially because I think there is something about her prayer that we need to think about. In The Winds of Winter, here's who's left. Gregor, Dunsin, Wrath, Ellen Payne, Marin Trant, and Cersei. Right? So Gregor, mm. we know he's dead. But, I mean, he's undead and he's in King's Landing. Right? Interesting. Dunsin might be on his way to King's Landing. We haven't seen him in a long time on the ground. However, in the World of Ice and Fire app... Uh, it's semi-canon, but I think it kind of counts. It seems like it's a little tidbit that George had in his notes. Dunson is following Ronit Connington from Maidenpool to King's Landing. Dunson is heading mm -hmm. towards King's Landing. We don't really know where Raph is, so I guess that doesn't count. Spoilers. And <clears throat> Illin Payne, King's Landing... Well, well, he's running around the Riverlands. He's yeah. He's got a bro trip now. He might be going back to King's Landing. We'll see. That he's been forced to go on. Yeah, but I yeah. I mean, Jamie's off uh, off on his own now. We'll see. He's loose for love. Yeah. Uh, Marin is in King's Landing, and Cersei's in King's Landing. So all signs in her prayer kind of are pointing towards King's Landing. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if she... I don't think she'll go to King's Landing before going home to Winterfell. I think she'll hit the Riverlands and go north. I'm wondering if she chooses not to go, which is going to be a big step against her prayer. But all signs point to King's Landing at some point. I also think like it's possible that Cersei goes to Casterly Rock at some point, too. So 
I think that her but, plans are going to get ruined to go to King's Landing, Arya's. I think that everything's there. Yeah. And one way or another, she's not going to be able to complete her list. Yeah. And, which also happened to Doran, mm-hmm. right? Like, the list gets completed for him. Just not in the way that... He wanted. He wanted it. He wanted to have a little more of an active role. Arya would love to have more of an active role, I think, in the making her prayers come true. Mm-hmm. But... We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I mean, <laughs> Gregor's at least easier probably to kill than he used to be. Or is he harder to kill now? I don't know. I don't really understand the mechanics sometimes of undeadness. We'll find out. Yeah, we will find out. And I really love um, how you've pointed out like that it does serve as, as, like you said, an anchor. And it's kind of like a little check-in of like, here's what's happening in Arya's story, but also here's what's happening in the story overall. And but also showing, like you said, like how her character is changing when it comes to each person who mm-hmm. is on or off the list. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Arya has a wolf dream. The smell of blood, rain, and rot is in the air, and she is swift, fierce, and her pack is around her. Her brothers and sisters help her take down a frightened horse, and they feast. And when the moon breaks, she howls. Oh. Oh. One day comes, Arya wakes to the barking of dogs. Oh. She's pressed between Gendry and Lem in the bed, and it sounds like at least half a hundred dogs are out there, which oh. I know that feeling. Oh. And oh. and she, like, goes to the window of this bedroom and decides to open, and she's like, ooh, it's wet and cold. And I'm like, that's kind of like an asshole move, Arya. Why are you opening the cold, wet window while everyone is sleeping? Very rude. Letting in the sound and... of the dogs. Yeah, well, that's also kind of an asshole thing to do, too. Why would you wake up everyone else in the fucking room? Well, I mean, they gotta get up. Look, we fundamentally disagree now. on this, okay? I just I just think, let them sleep. All right. Uh, Mm. Let them sleep in. Well, out in the square, these dogs have barked and run in circles. They're great black mastiffs. And there's also some lean wolfhounds, black and white sheep dogs, and some dogs that Arya doesn't even know. Well, definitely one dog that she does know, but more to come on that. A dozen (laughs) riders sit astride their horses, watching the townsmen open a cage, letting a corpse within fall and become dog food very quickly. Interesting to compare over to uh, Jane and what she's dealing with in A Dance with Dragons. A uh, prisoner sits sullenly beside the townsman, and people are throwing poop at him. That's so cruel. Um, he's being told he'll rot in these cages while they spend all of his Lannister gold. Damn. They also, like, tell him that they're going to send his remains to his brother, which is, like, another little hint about who this is. And I think that's kind of interesting because it's his brother's remains that maybe, maybe his brother's remains get sent around the country. Oh, I love that. Passing them around. I love that. Oh my God. We do love that that happened to him. This is so learned hands, Doran Martell. Wow. This is oh just gosh. like their episode coming all wow. in at the same time. Um, yeah. Because his head, question mark, maybe, might be there, might question, not. Maybe, question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. <laughs> Nothing's better than the fact that, like, Dorn, you know how Dorn parties, they're so petty. They're like, ooh, we're going to have sugar skulls to accept the skull. So <laughs> actually, good. That was Actually, that was actually a really good move. Yeah, I love a theme. You know me. Uh... Love a theme. The Brotherhood wakes up, asking everyone, well, what's going on? 
Eliana's over here. Arya, open the window. That's what's going on. Uh, Tom tells them the huntsman has returned with a prisoner. Arya comments, it's a Lannister. And Gendry's like, is it the Kingslayer? Now, the poop has transformed from being poop being thrown to being rocks and stones being thrown at the man. And then Arya confirms this man is not the Kingslayer. And we close the chapter with, Not the Kingslayer, Arya thought when she saw his face. The gods had heard her prayers after all. Wow. Who is it? My Who God. is it, Chloe? It's my man's. There he is. Who's a good boy? You know, boy? we haven't seen Sandy since Blackwater, baby. So, um. Oh my God. Yeah. Sandor Theon really? before Theon Theon. Sandor disappears after Blackwater, and this is his first reappearance into the plot here. I'm so glad to see him. I really hate that he's getting hit with piles of shit and stones. That's kind of <laughs> cruel. Don't throw poop and rocks at dogs. That's not nice. But. Yeah, I also love the way it ends. It's very, like, it's such a Storm of Swords chapter ending. And what I mean by that is, like, I think of Tyrion chapters in Storm and how they always end with these big, like, notes of da-da-da-da-da. And this one also ended with the da-da-da-da-da. You know, like, I think of the trial and I think of all these big chapters happening and the way George writes them. And the gods had heard her prayers after all. And if you didn't figure it out, you have to wait till the next chapter to figure it out. I think that's clever. It's cute. George is doing a thing. I love when he does the thing. Do it all the time, George. Please. It feels like we're about to go to a commercial break. Right? What's gonna, <laughs> where are we gonna find out after the commercial? I, I think like sometimes these endings of these chapters, it either feels like the end of a commercial or the end of like an episode of, you know, a TV series that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Weekly. You really get to see his TV writer chops shine. Yeah, uh, it is very, it would copy to the screen for sure. Like, absolutely. Just dramatic. I mean, it did, I think of how they did the Tyrion trial, you know, the. I demand trial by combat. Like, that is the most... True. It's very epic. It's very... Yeah, George was absolutely feeling himself in this book. I think a lot of people say that Storm is their favorite. And it is a good book. It's not my favorite. I still love it. I mean, it's in my five favorite Aeswath books, probably, of the top five. Just kidding. But um, there's more than that now, I guess. I guess there's like seven or eight. Oh, God. Fire like, and blood. Is out? Did I miss something? Oh yeah, look under your chair. <laughs> oh. Uh, I don't know. It's something like you can see he's showing off a little bit in this book, and I think it's well deserved. It's very well deserved. He's flossing a little. He's like, I'm George R. R. Martin, and I have snappy, flashy chapter endings. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty jazzed about this book, right? He gets to like close up some of the plots to move into a new phase of the story. Yeah. Right, he gets to close up one act of the story. Not necessarily plots. He's, he just reopens a bunch of plots. But anyway, so I don't know. I like Storm. I think I'm Beast first, Storm second. Hell yeah. But I did used to be a Storm first because I'm a basic bitch too. That's okay and to be basic. Yeah, it is okay to be basic. Storm <laughs> enjoyers who became Feast enjoyers are, you know, they're number one. That's all. Uh, it's true. I am number one. No, I'm joking. Oh my god. Uh well, that's it. I mean, I what a strong place for us to end on. Oh, yeah. What a strong place for us to start 2024 on, for Chloe especially. Oh, my God. I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank Eliana. I'd like to thank all of you listening at home. Thank you so much. I feel like I've won an award today. So 
Thank you. 2024, the first half will be dedicated to Sandor Clegane. Um, <laughs> it's her year. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Most of my years are dedicated to Sandor Clegane, but. Yep, that's true. I'm telling you all a secret here. Uh, it's been a great year of Arya and a bunch of other POVs, right? Bran, Aaron, Mel. Victorian. Victorian. Oh my God. We had a crazy fucking year. Finished a lot. I look forward to next year. I don't know. I think we might we might be able to get a few POVs in next year now that I say it. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly a better start to the year. I mean, like, granted, you know, while I loved starting the year with the His Dark Materials TV show finale, mm-hmm. what a fucking bummer. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry about God. <laughs> well, now we got Sand Bob. Yes. Now we will have Sand Hello. Dog Clagog. Hello, God. It's Dog. Hello, Dog. <laughs> Hello, yes, this is Doc. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Thank you for listening in 2023. We have had a blast with you this year. We look forward to several more years. Several more years. Four more years. Many more years. Wow, honestly, that's pretty optimistic Uh. for these last two books. Anyways, we do. We do. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Wow, new year. Same old us, probably. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But... Even more us than ever when with the Sandor chapters. See you all on the flip side. If you want to keep up with all of that, though, you can follow us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, or on Blue Sky at girlsgonecanon. Or you can send us an email with, I don't know, just fun stuff, also pictures of your animals at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And a huge thank you again to our patrons who honestly sponsor the shit out of us. These episodes could not happen, would not happen without our patrons. Ever so grateful this year and every year for your support. You can become a patron over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon where you get bonus episodes and other perks depending on the tier that you choose. And our patrons are going to Tell you where you should listen to us, subscribe to us, online. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier above, you have access to a Discord, and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, a song of ice and fire. There's a pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by join the community it's a lot of fun and you won't regret it it's been a great year look forward to more thanks so much for listening as always i have been one of your hosts chloe and i've been another one of your hosts dominic and duncan oh my god (laughs) these people are gonna be like who are these girls why do they keep claiming to be us sorry women women (laughs) who Uh, are these ladies i'm just strumming my little 
And why should we hire them to do our musical adaptation? Why should we completely pivot? We're gonna fucking Oliver put them. I'm strumming an air ukulele right now, but none of you can hear it or see it. But just know it's being strummed. It's being strummed. The queen took off her sandal. Oh, are we not? All right, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't. I, I don't know the words. I don't know the <laughs> Happy tune. Happy New Year, everyone. See you later. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Bye.